0: Welcome to the podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming and progressive Unitarian Universalist congregation deeply committed to love and justice. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.
1: That's so good to see you. Welcome in, everybody. Good Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's so good to have everybody here. Welcome, my name is Jen Crow. I'm one of your ministers here at First Universalist Church and I'm so glad that you are here with us this morning. Whether you're joining us live on YouTube or Zoom or whether you're listening to the podcast uh, or watching the recording later, it matters that we are here together today and in all of the days ahead. It matters that we are together because we are in a moment here in Minneapolis and around our country and it matters that we show up with and for each other seeking sustenance and community and care, a place where we can share our grief and our rage at the continued killing of black and brown people by the police in this time of transformation where we are unlearning and learning anew that we might really move into transformation and liberation and create systems and ways of being where everyone can thrive. This is the moment of change we're in. It matters that we come together for sustenance and care and strength and support in this journey. So I invite you to make yourself comfortable wherever you are. For me, I'm feeling my feet on the floor. I'm gonna take a moment to let my shoulders go up and drop down. And I invite you, if it's comfortable, into three intentional breaths. We breathe in. And we breathe out so, so slowly. by our shared breath. We begin our worship together, and let's start as we always do if you have a chalice or a candle or a flame that just gets lit in your heart. Let's light our chalice together, along with Ike and Bennett Smalley this morning.
0: Please join me in saying the words for the lighting of the chalice. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth and love and to help one another. Good morning, friends. The story that I'm sharing with you this morning is a story that Lauren and I wrote together. I wanna talk particularly to our young people now, to our children and our youth. We have to talk with you today again, about an act of violence in the Twin Cities. Another young black man killed by police. Here he is. His name is Dante Wright. Dante was 20 years old and he had a little son who was almost two years old and parents and siblings and friends and a girlfriend who loved him very, very much. Dante was driving his car and he was pulled over by police who say they didn't mean to shoot him, but they did. And Dante died. We wish so much that we didn't have to talk with you about this. We wish Dante were alive, that all black and brown and indigenous people whose lives have been taken by police were alive, but our wishing can't make them be alive again. And so as we have promised you, we will tell you what we know, and we will listen to you and your questions and your feelings. We will be with you and take care of you and keep you safe. And we will do our part to take power away from the police. And we will do whatever we can to make sure that everyone in our communities is safe and valued and loved. Some people might say that it's childish to think that we can get rid of this problem of police hurting the people they say they are protecting and serving. Some people might say it's childish to think that the world will change. They might say that racism and violence and police with guns are just part of life and we have to get used to that. Those people are wrong. And you, our children and youth, you know that. You tell us that you don't understand why police keep killing people in our streets, that they should just stop. You tell us that you know that it's possible to treat everyone with kindness and respect and care. Those are not childish ideas. Those ideas are brave and wise and prophetic. Those ideas are holy and good. Here's what I know. Here's what our religious and spiritual ancestors knew. The world is good. The world is filled with good things like trees and flowers and clouds and rocks and animals and insects and rain and snow and sun and wind. The creator God is all good and all loving and so too is the created, all good and beloved. The ground we inhabit is sacred. Good, whole, and holy is its natural state. Being born and living in this good world is the original grace we receive through no action on our part. The world is good. You and I and everyone is born good into this beautiful, good world. But over time, people have built some things that are not good, some things that are in fact very bad. People have created ways of policing that hurt our black and brown and indigenous siblings. It doesn't have to be like that. The world is good and we can build something good upon it. People are capable of building good things together. Together we might imagine and build new ways of protecting and serving one another. We can replace the old ways that hurt people with new and better ways. I want to ask you to imagine the ways you would like the world to be different and share those ideas with your grown-ups. Those ideas are what we call prophetic imagination. Those ideas are not childish or naive or worthless. In fact, our prophetic imagination may be the most valuable thing that we have. Our imagination is what we use to create and plan for the better world. Let's keep imagining together and talking about what we imagine and believing it is possible to do better. Let's build things together, things that are as beautiful and good as a newborn baby, as beautiful and good as this good and beautiful world. And now we'll experience some beautiful music from Amy and Franco.
2: time
3: Amy and Franco, what a gift your essential ministry has been to us through these times. Thank you.
4: Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for taking us to the well of prayer where we now continue, Mm. where we gather to invoke love, to name our struggles and our joys, as we do every time we gather. In a moment, I'm gonna invite us to name our truths and have them held in community.
3: Mm-hmm. But first, and today in particular, let us lift up our collective voice and lament. Enough is enough. Ya yeah, basta. We are done with the never ending police brutality We are done with a militarized city that prevents our people from gathering and mourning and protesting and lamenting in community together.
4: Enough is enough. Ya basta. Ya basta con el trabajo emocional de una tristeza sobre otra. Una rabia sobre otra. Ya basta.
3: We are done with business as usual with lack of imagination, with hopelessness, with despair. We are hungry for a glimpse of possibility, for a promise, any shred of the promise of justice. We are hungry for a sign that another world is on its way, even now. Enough is enough. Ya basta. Ya basta
4: con la mentira que estamos separados. Que no tenemos poder y fuerza en el colectivo, ya basta con la ilusión de que no podemos hacer nada. Enough is enough, ya basta, ya basta.
3: Spirit of justice and liberation, be with us now. In the name of love and hope, we call on our ancestors and on the great cloud of witnesses to be here. Fill us with your strength, your courage. Help us to know we sit in the lap of the divine. We are not alone. We are loved and we love one another.
4: We know and remember that we only get through this together. Juntes seguimos adelante. Juntes nos apoyamos y nos queremos Y nos acompañamos en esta jornada de cambio y transformación.
3: Living spirit of community and transformation, come into our hearts and show us the way to healing. Show us the beauty beneath the brokenness.
4: Queridísima Diosa, ayúdanos a conectar a la
3: alegría que nos da fuerza
4: y perseverancia.
3: Remind us of our collective birthrights, freedom, joy, peace, and a place for everyone. Please and thank you.
4: Por favor y gracias.
3: In the name of all that we call holy.
4: En nombre del futuro que nos imaginamos.
3: Please and thank
4: you. Por favor y gracias.
5: Hi, my name is Johanna MacBe. I am an artist and activist and a young healer in the community. And I also serve on the Board of Trustees at First Universalist, our church. Um, I'm going to read something that I wrote in response to Dante Wright's murder. It is a poem, a eulogy, and a letter to America. Sometimes I think it's the end. For a moment I find myself in peace until I see the news, another black man dead. And I'm reminded of our reality. How many more Black bodies will it take to please you? How many more live lynchings, traffic stop executions, brutal beatings, cries for mothers, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. How many cities have to burn? How many communities destroyed? Emmett Till because he whistled, Tamir Rice for being a child, A Tatiana Jefferson, wrong place, wrong time. How many more lives lost? So much white silence in Minnesota nice. Performative posts and meaningless signs. Like we aren't dying. Like this ain't the equivalent to being hanged from a tree with everyone watching. Like cops weren't created to catch and kill. Like this is just a one-time thing and not genocide. Like this system is broken when it works the way it's supposed to. And it works the way it's supposed to. So what will you say when this all comes back to you? When truth comes knocking at your door? When it's time to answer for all crimes you committed? all the children you took. What will you say on your day of reckoning? I'm sorry. On Sunday, April 11th, Dante Wright was murdered at the hands of a police officer in the name of racism, in the name of hatred. There is no need for further circumstance. The good or bad he's done is irrelevant to his death, to his life being taken. To justify a murder or to bestow martyr onto someone is to dehumanize them. Dante lived. That's what matters. He lived. Now, I want to invite y'all to take a breath or a break. I know that was some really heavy stuff, so please do what your body is needing and um, address what it's feeling. (sighs) It's been a heavy week. It really has, and I'm exhausted. I really am. I've been trying to... Take care of my community, be there for my community, but especially be there for myself. And remember that I cannot be there for my community or for the ones that I love without taking care of myself first. And I want to tell all the folks of color right now, um, remind y'all about this thing called resiliency. When people talk about resiliency, it's like they always say, fight, 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 fight. Keep going, keep going, keep going. And I just wanna remind y'all that's not what resiliency is. Real resiliency, true resiliency is actively resting, is taking a nap, sleeping, taking care of your body, taking a break when you need a break. It means putting yourself first before others. And to be honest, resiliency is just living, is waking up in a black or brown body, waking up as a person of color every day and living. And that is so brave. So I just wanna say I'm I'm proud of y'all for waking up every day because that is resiliency. That on its own is being resilient. Another way I have been trying to take care of myself besides, you know, deep breathing and yoga and trying to take care of my body, like bathing, um, you know, I decided to get up and create a zine. A zine is basically a short booklet that has a point, usually a political point. It has images and just phrases and sometimes poetry. And I created the zine because I, I needed a way to metabolize the pain that I was feeling and to create something out of it. And so this is what I created. It talks about resiliency, love, and hope as a person of color in this world. Um, I'm selling the zines hopefully within the, uh, next, the next week or two for two, two white people for $5. Um, and to folks of color for zero dollars, like you don't gotta, you don't gotta pay for it. Um, all the money that is raised from those zines will go to Dante Wright's family, to communities impacted by the uprisings, and to intervention slash prevention programs, organizations, and collectives that are trying to help folks of color break generational curses and trauma caused by systemic racism and slavery. I would really appreciate it if y'all would look out for my zine. It'll be in the Weekly Liberal within a week or two. Um, Again, it's $5 for white folks and for folks of color, it's free. Um, And when you buy the zine, you get a copy in the mail. Um, And yeah, so please look out for that. Um, I appreciate any support y'all can give to this cause and Yeah, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great rest of your day and may peace and love be with you. And again, please remember to take care of yourselves. Thank you.
1: Johanna, thank you for sharing your wisdom, for sharing your experience, for sharing how you care for yourself, for the encouragement, and for creating something out of this devastation. So let's take some time to rest in beauty together as we listen to Ani Peichel sing with us Ella's song.
6: We who believe in freedom cannot rest. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes until the killing of black men black mother son is as important as the killing of white men white mother son we who believe in freedom cannot rest We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes The older I get, the better I know that the secret of my going on Is when the rings are in the hands of the young who dare to run against the stone To meet the young people comes first, they have the courage where we fail And if I can but shed some light as they carry us through the gale We who believe in freedom cannot rest. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes.
1: I'm so grateful to each of you as individuals and to this community for shoring me up and cracking me open, the way of the spirit, right? So this morning, I want to share with you a saying that uh, happens in the recovery community. And I have to admit that this saying from the recovery community usually involves swear words. I'm going to omit them this morning, and you can just be creative in your own home about what word you would like to put in there. You can imagine where it will go. So here's the context. I think it's fair to say that generally, when folks are coming into recovery from an addiction, things are not going well for them. Generally speaking, something is going very, very wrong. Some internal piece of integrity is out of alignment. Maybe this person who is approaching recovery is doing things that they know they don't want to be doing. There's something severely out of alignment. People are being harmed. They are being harmed. And so when they come to approach this idea of making a big change in their life, it's usually out of a place of pretty clear devastation, maybe internally and externally. So there's this underlying kind of universal experience as folks approach recovery, and it is a knowledge that something has got to change. So in the 12-step community, there are 12 steps as implied by the name, right? And the practice, the lifelong spiritual practice is to go through the steps to take them one after the other, and then to do it again. Lifelong spiritual practice that happens in community, in care, takes effort and commitment and each other. But before you can even get to step one of these 12 steps, we tend to say you also and first have to take step zero. So what exactly is step zero, you might be asking yourself, and this is exactly where you can put in that swear word uh, of your own choice. So the saying goes like this step zero is blank has got to change. Blank has got to change. Things have got to change. Like I said, use your own word, but you know where I'm going. Before you can approach a lifelong spiritual practice of transformation that requires deep effort and a willingness to go somewhere, you don't know where you're going, but you know it's gotta be better than where you are, you've gotta get to step zero. Blank has got to change. So friends, I think we're there. At least I pray that we are there. Step zero, things have got to change. As we heard, it was just a week ago, right? At this time, a week ago, Dante Wright was alive. Two weeks ago, Adam Toledo was alive. A year ago, George Floyd was alive all of these people, and so many others, killed by an oppressive state that is working exactly as it was meant to. This is where we are. We know these stories and so many others because they are the same story with different lives that have been happening for over 400 years in this country. And some of us, and I'm thinking about our black and brown and indigenous community members have this burden in a particularly horrific and excruciating way. Things have got to change. Step zero. I've been finding myself this week reminded of something that our current vice president of the board here at church, Darren Woodson, said from our pulpit back it was two Easter's ago, Easter Sunday in 2019, and Darren was the worship associate. She stood up in the pulpit and she described racism and our continued compliance with white supremacy culture as an addiction. She told us that racism wasn't a thing that was ever going to be fully behind us, but rather the work of transformation and liberation was a lifelong spiritual practice that we would need community and care and effort and a willingness to take steps and move in directions where we didn't know where we were gonna go at the end, but we knew it had to be better than where we were starting. She told us that racism was an addiction and we were gonna need each other as we came out of this lifelong, or we came into this lifelong spiritual practice of recovery from racism. This is where we are going together and this is the level of commitment it is going to take to truly transform ourselves and this world. So can we be at step zero? Can we please acknowledge all of us, some of us have been there for a long, long time that things have got to change, but can we all be there now please at step zero with the acknowledgement that things have got to change and the corresponding urgent commitment that comes with the lifelong practice of eradicating racism and white supremacy culture. Can we please be at step zero now? I don't want any more devastation. I don't want any more lives lost. And I know you don't either. Can we be at step zero? You know, And I know here in Minneapolis and all over our country, we are in a state of emergency. The governor said so, the mayor said so, the soldiers stationed on the corner of every major intersection here in Minneapolis tell us so whether we want them here or not. We are in a state of emergency and here's the thing, the emergency is not what they are telling us it is, not at all. The emergency has been going on for generations. The emergency is the need to control grieving, enraged, terrorized masses. The emergency is the destruction. It is the soul corroding systems that have been built upon this good earth. It is the systems of oppression that have been placed upon us and that have been accepted by so many of our good hearts. That is the state of emergency, the impact of profit over people, of racism and oppression embedded in our systems of policing and education and public health. That is what has gotten us to this place, to this point, this state of emergency where I pray and I act as if we are there at step zero. We are disconnected from ourselves, each other, and this good earth was at the beginning of my ministry when a colleague of mine broke down some spiritual concepts for me in a way that made absolute sense and that has shaped me ever since. So this is the language that he used. He said, for us as Unitarian Universalists, sin is really simple. Sin is disconnection. Sin is separation from ourselves, from each other, from the earth, and for some of us, from what we understand as God or the holy. Sin is separation. Hell is living in a state of separation and disconnection. Hell is living in that state of being separated from ourselves, from each other, from the earth and from what some of us know as God. And redemption isn't coming from someone else, isn't coming from some outside being. Redemption is simply about repair. It is about us repairing that disconnection from ourselves, from each other, from the earth, from the holy. Repair and redemption is about reconnection. Reconnection with self, others, earth, the holy. That is what repair can look like for us. We do it ourselves in community with each other. Now, I've been looking for hope because I need it to help me to continue and I've been turning to the author, Rebecca Solnit, and she has this description of what paradise is, of what paradise can be like, or heaven maybe, right? She says, paradise is living in a state of unbroken solidarity. Paradise is living in a state of unbroken solidarities. So what does solidarity mean, right? Solidarity looks like Philonaise Floyd leaving the trial of Derek Chauvin for the murder of his brother, to go be in the streets grieving with Dante Wright's family. That is what solidarity looks like. Solidarity is when we really know and live as if we are tied up inescapably in a network of mutuality in a single garment of destiny. When we know that there are no other people's children, we are of each other and that is how it is and that is how we act. That is what solidarity is. So paradise, Solnit tells us, heaven here on this earth is about living in a state of unbroken solidarities with ourselves, with each other, with the earth, with the holy for some of us. So let me continue to break down this idea a bit. And we've got a couple of slides I wanna show you so you can be in this with me and we can break this down together. So this is Rebecca's quote from Rebecca Solnit's book, A Paradise Built in Hell. And in this, she is exploring communities that are created in the wake of disaster, the good that can arise even out of a state of emergency. So you're seeing this up on your screen, right? She says in the wake of a disaster, an earthquake, a bombing, a major storm, most people are actually altruistic. They are urgently engaged in caring for themselves and the people around them, right? Strangers and neighbors as well as friends and loved ones. We've seen that here in our city. So this image, she says, of the selfish, panicky, regressively savage human being that shows up in times of despair, it's simply not the big truth. I think it's actually the big lie. (laughs) She says decades of meticulous sociological research on behavior and disasters, right? So research going back from the bombings of World War II to floods and tornadoes and earthquakes and storms across the continent and around the world have demonstrated this. So the truth is there, she says, but belief is lagging behind. And often the worst behavior that happens in the wake of a disaster, in the wake of a calamity or state of emergency actually comes from those who believe that others are gonna behave savagely and they have to take defensive measures against those others, right? So she says from the earthquake shattered San Francisco in 1906 to flooded New Orleans in 2005, innocents have been killed by people who have believed or asserted that their victims were the criminals and they themselves were the protectors of the shaken order. What we believe matters. If I believe that my well-being is independent of yours or somehow pitted against yours and I justify my conduct as natural law, if I am not my sibling's keeper, then we have been expelled from paradise. I say we have expelled ourselves from paradise, the paradise of unbroken solidarity. When we forget that we are each other's keepers, then everyday life becomes a social disaster. That from the teacher and the prophet, Rebecca Solnit. We must believe that we can create something better. Surely we can create something better than this. Surely we can say we are at step zero and things have got to change even if we don't know where we are going yet. It can be better. It will be better if we live in a state of unbroken solidarity with ourselves, with each other, with the earth, with the holy for some of us. So this is the question, the charge I want to give you today. What does it look like, feel like, what will it be like for you when you are living in a state of unbroken solidarity with yourself, another person, with the community, with the holy, with the earth? What does it look like, feel like? What will it be like when you are living in a state of unbroken solidarity? Will it look like nurturing first self-care? Will it look like good food, water, rest, hope, if that is what you need, rage, if that is what you need? What will it look like in caring for each other? showing up together in the ways that you can to express grief, rage, hope, possibility to live into transformation. What will it look like for you to live in a state of unbroken solidarity? That is what I'm asking you today. That is what I am asking us. How will we make this real? How will we build something good and new upon this good earth with our good hearts? How will we come back into connection with ourselves, each other, the earth, the holy, this world? So friends, I wanna know. I want you to tell each other. I want you to make commitments to yourself and each other about how you will today and this week start to live even more in even some small way, how will you live into a state of unbroken solidarity that we might come into heaven in this life and experience a bit of that joy and thriving here and now? May it be so. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ. That's F I R S T U N I V to seven three two five six to make your gift. To learn more, visit us online at FirstUniversalistChurch.org.